Warning, this podcast never runs out of fucks to give. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Gabby and by the new Jesus-themed pizzeria, Crust Almighty. Crust Almighty, putting the pizza back in pizza on Earth. And now, The Scathing Atheist. Hey guys, my name is June. I'm an ex-Mormon trans lesbian. And based on the reaction my seminary teacher had when I told him what I was at age 16, I can really attest to the fact that at least some of us evolved from some filthy fucking monkey men. It's October 28th. And it's the Festival of St. Jude. Cool. How do you do with those cancer kids this year? Would we say festival? <laughs> <laughs> festival? I have no illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from Martha Stewart's, New Jersey, oh, Cincinnati yeah. Red State and Redtown Blue State, this is the Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, Christians throw out their backs attempting to meme... God builds a bridge out of a witch and then burns her to death to help a GOP candidate. And David McAfee will be here to tell my mom I mean it about the atheism thing. (laughs) But first, the diatribe. ever notice how many Christian arguments against atheism boil down to confessions of what an asshole they are? I, okay, it's easy to miss because this, there's like a background hum of Christianity in our culture that most of us learn to ignore at a certain point. But as soon as you manage to look past it, it becomes glaringly obvious. Like I've literally heard Christians complain that atheists are too in your face about their beliefs. Like Christians will make that argument while wearing a crucifix. I get door-to-door salesmen for Jesus at least a few times a year, regardless of where in the country that I've lived. Still, never gotten one for atheism. But Christians don't notice the hypocrisy for the same reason that I no longer notice the smell of my cat litter. You live with shit long enough, and eventually you stop noticing the smell. This became glaringly obvious to me during a recent online argument with a religious transphobe. They were complaining about the singular they in a way that suggested they have no fucking idea what this sentence is about when I noticed that they were capitalizing the H in him when they talked about God. These motherfuckers want to complain that the singular they is some weird affront to the sacred rules of pronouns, but at the same time, they insist that we treat the pronoun like a proper fucking noun if it's applied to their favorite deity or his son. And and I'm pretty sure they'd have me capitalize son there, too. The, the, the point is that the thing that they're complaining about us doing is a lighter form of the thing that they're doing, and we're not even actually doing it. Right? That, that's always the case. Think about how much they complain when shit like evolution or the age of the earth comes up in children's programming. Now, the, the Charlie Brown special that's been playing on network television annually since the motherfucking 1820s stops cold for an echoing monologue about how correct their religion is. That's worlds worse than what they're accusing us of, right? Like evolution isn't atheism and neither is geology. 
the, the fact that they've decided to set their religions course parallel to the one with all the facts on it, that's not our fucking fault. But even if we accept their bullshit premise that telling kids about evolution is atheist indoctrination somehow, the most they can accuse us of doing is the thing that they've been doing for decades. Hell, even when it comes to teaching that shit in schools, if we actually were teaching atheism when we acknowledge evolution, all we'd be doing is succeeding in the thing that they're actively trying to do every fucking time we turn around. The absolute height of this, of course, is when they accuse atheism of being a religion. And this is obviously and hilariously wrong for all the bald is in a hair color and off is in a television station reasons that many atheists have pointed out before me. But even if it isn't, are you arguing that religion is bad? I mean, isn't the idea that one of the religions is true kind of central to your whole thing? Like, we're not a religion, but if we can all start off agreeing that that would make us less rational, that'd be great. That'd be a great starting point for our discussion. Of course, like a jackass saying he can't see the eclipse because the sun's in his eyes, they're so blinded by their own goddamn privilege that they can't see it when it's right in front of them. That background hum of acceptability has been permeating their assholery for so long that even when they recognize the behavior itself is bad, they can't see that they're the ones doing it. And as bad as all that is, it's almost exculpatory, isn't it? Like, like somehow deep down, they, they do know that their behavior is that of an asshole, and they do know that one should avoid acting like an asshole. They're just victimized by that background cultural hum. But if you're tempted to paint them as the victims in this whole thing, I think it's worth remembering that we've been trying to show them this shit for quite a while now. Every effort to force them to face their privilege has been met with closed eyes, fingers in the ears, and a chorus of la, 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 I can't hear you. When their kids start to glimpse the corners of their privilege, they freak the fuck out and start a crusade against critical race theory. Yeah, hell, the very exchange that led to this diatribe was a person vocally rejecting the idea that they should be at least one-fiftieth as respectful to real human beings that we can prove exist as they insist we be to their imaginary fucking friend. I mean, look, I can't blame a person for not being able to see around their cultural obstructions, but it's not like nobody ever told Christians what to do when their view is obstructed by a plank in their eye. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the butcher and baker to my candlestick maker, Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, are you ready to thump this tub? Oh, Noah, please do not give Heath the chance to insult the surprisingly large section of our audience that are tubaholics. I cannot go through this again, <laughs> Noah. I cannot go through this again. It's fine. It means to publicly... You get knocked down, you get up again. <laughs> In our lead Chumbawamba story. actually has an amazing, deep catalog. You should check it out, everybody. It's, just it's important. Phrase tub thumping exists beyond that. Anyway, in our lead story tonight, I wanted to highlight a recent article in The Atlantic that details the terrifying ongoing ideological purge sweeping through the evangelical power structures of this nation. The article bears the deceptively optimistic title, The Evangelical Church is Breaking Apart. But what it's really about is the right wing conspiracy field Trumpies pushing out everybody who suggests that maybe black lives do matter. And while that will inevitably lead to a smaller evangelical presence, that's hardly worth celebrating if the way they got there is by cutting loose all their restraint. The Christian right saying the loud part out louder? Was yeah. that, did we make it better? <laughs> yeah, the Christian right isn't so much a tent pole for Republicans anymore as it is a maypole. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Now, so the article starts on the uh, case study, that of the McLean Bible Church in Northern Virginia, where their annual election of the elders turned from a formality to a mudslinging, misinformation-fueled shitfest that included accusations that some of the candidates wanted to sell the church to Muslims and turn it into a mosque. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. For all those Northern Virginian Muslims. Some really progressives. Serious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, but according to the article, the real heart of the issue, though, was that the church's leadership, though conservative, was unwilling to call white, black and up down enough for the conspiracy addled Trumpies in their congregation. And this partisan purge is, of course, happening in evangelical churches all over the country. I'm not too worried. Th those people can check out uh, TrumpChurch.GeoCities.biz. Yeah, right. Launching. right. They, yeah. they got a whole parallel society. Yeah. Oh, no. The lie based racism clubs are being taken over by. Racist lies. Who could have possibly seen it coming? Yeah. So now one aspect of the article I found really interesting was the emphasis it placed on the fact that evangelical isn't really a denomination. right? It's kind of a catch-all demographic term that pollsters used to distinguish white Protestants from black ones. Eventually it became a self-identification thing, but it was based much more around political affiliation than theological interpretation. So the author of the article quotes Christian book editor James Ernest, who points out, quote, the evangelical church in the U.S. over the last five decades has failed to form its adherents into disciples. So there is a great hollowness. All that was needed to cause the implosion that we have seen was a sufficiently provocative stimulus, end quote. And of course, that provocation was Trump who filled the empty space where our theology was supposed to go with racism and conspiracy theories. OK, in fairness to Trump, that's a great description of the Bible. No, true. Racism yeah. and conspiracy <laughs> theories, the book. That was a, a Trump-shaped hole where theology was supposed to go. And really, that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. If your thing is Trump-shaped, don't have that thing. Have it go away. <laughs> yeah. Now, I should say that the article is problematic as all hell. Okay, so it's, it's written by an evangelical Christian who's desperately looking for ways to deflect blame from the religion itself. Right? Like, for example, at no point does he admit the shocking degree to which evangelical pastors have embraced or ignored the rise of QAnon type shit within their church. He mentions their anti-woke goals early on, but doesn't bring up white supremacy until the last third of the article. And he, even then, it's just like it's there to round out a list. Hell, the author can't even resist playing the both sides card in an article about how Trump is fucking up the right wing of Christianity. <laughs> Oh, what? won't someone think of the overly woke UU churches yeah, going basically, through a similar yeah. problem? Oh, that's the others. That's the both sides. No, I didn't even no. Uh, conceive but... of what that would be. <laughs> and so that being said, it says something when so many progressive Christians feel the need to sound the alarms from inside the building, even when they know that they're arming folks like us when they do so. Yeah, I mean, good on them for noticing the fire after it burned all the women's rights and trans people. But like mm -hmm. when you read this article, you can't help but feel like if you had a four sentence conversation with this person, they would cry and tell me I don't get to tell them what words mean. Yeah, I just feel yeah. like that's where this article was going. How could I be mean to an article? It's fine. It's fine. I'm going to go wait in the car. <laughs> and in Say What You Meme News, there's this saying that goes around the internet that the right memes better than the left and who says that right I, the, the right, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah I was okay. say. in memes i'm sure yeah. Yeah. yeah and in so much as the right is far more willing to let their entire political viewpoint be represented by a thinly veiled declaration of white supremacy that's true um it 
is there a veil? Right. Are, we, are we saying there's a veil? <laughs> That's there? weird. But it's when these so-called memes hove their way onto the Christian rights pulpit that they become our territory, which is why we're going to talk about the GOP candidate who participated in the political equivalent of muckfonald Trump at a church this week. Wouldn't it be truck funnel dump or something like yeah, that no, if sorry, you're doing yeah, the spooner? No M. Also, yeah. that's the political equivalent of itself. That's, <laughs> a, that's it is okay. So, but one way or the other, look. The reality is is that the more uniform and less nuanced your thoughts, the more memeable they are. So you know, keep bragging about it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's explain. The meme in question, because society died and this is hell for society, <laughs> yep. which died and went to hell. Last week at a NASCAR race. Cool. Great start to a sentence. <laughs> driver Brandon Brown was being interviewed when it became apparent that the crowd behind him was chanting, fuck Joe Biden, fuck Joe Biden. And NBC sports reporter Kelly Stavast, in an attempt to maintain that she was neither in a basket and if she was, how deplorable could it be, desperately suggested to the driver that the crowd was chanting, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> so yeah. it's really funny. You should watch the clip. But anyway, she knows what was being oh, said. She knows, right? absolutely she, knows. It's honestly like, go her. Like that was, that's a pretty good on your feet. Quick thinking. thinking. Yeah. yeah. Because she's not allowed to be like, oh, I notice everyone here is a piece of shit. So did you turn left today? So ever since then, conservatives say, let's go Brandon when they mean fuck Joe Biden. Right. You, you get it? Because it's, it's, it's like saying a mean thing. Yeah, nailed it. They got us. An entire political party of adults is doing the eight-year-old cursing thing. Yes. It's like, I said shit-taki mushrooms, Mom. I'm allowed. I'm allowed to say shit. I have to be able to talk about mushrooms. You have to let me say that. I was that. talking about asteroids. Come on. now You're a swear jar. <laughs> the record, though, oh. our guy is rejected by the crowds at NASCAR events. Their guy gets the same thing from the crowds on Broadway. Like, even based on just that, you can tell we're on the right side of this. Vice, you can use that one for your next article. <laughs> Like I said, this level of political discourse has ascended to the real source of political power for the right these days, the pulpit, where this week GOP candidate Mark Burns took to the stage of none other than show favorite Greg Locke's church. Huh. He, you know, he didn't come up in that article I was talking about at the top of the show. It's, <laughs> it's weird. It's so it's crazy. Weird. Yeah. yeah, so he showed up at the, the lockdown, as I call it, to spew transphobia and lead the crowd of dozen in a cheer <laughs> of Let's Go, Brandon. Okay, I think the most embarrassing part is you're allowed to say fuck Joe Biden. Right. Yeah. You can just say that. But they're giggling about it and diving into the bushes because mom's going to catch them. <laughs> you know who the real victims are here, though? Liberal Brandons at competitions, right? Absolutely. Your dad's cheering for you in the stands. Stop, dad. They think that's a bad... <laughs> <laughs> so I think what's obvious is that the left is lacking some good memes to get our ideas across while upsetting our ideological rivals. So without further ado, we here at The Scathing Atheist would like to introduce the following super cool piping hot leftist means <laughs> fellas oh okay so something piping hot and of the now okay the, the like the what's up from those 
whatever late nineties Budweiser nice, commercial. Topical. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So now that's code for the idea of race is scientifically incoherent and the concept of whiteness is an ever receding bulwark for losers to try to feel special behind. Ooh. Ooh. What was that? Yeah. I liked I you know what? I like both sides of that. I like yeah. the meme and I like quoting the commercial. Yeah. It's great. Also, fuck Donald Trump. I'm just yeah. saying it. Right. Regularly. You can just say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I want to play too. I got this. Uh, all right. Uh, you remember the Noid, right? I grew up in the Noid. Yes. God of the Domino's pizza franchise. Very topical as well. Mm-hmm. The Noid is now a symbol of a robust social safety net created by taxing billionaires. So anytime anyone complains about unions in any way or uses the phrase laissez-faire or uses the phrase providing liquidity, they get <laughs> side-tackled by the Noid. We have it's an nice. army of Noids running around tackling yes. people. Fuck yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay, uh, finally, the newest TikTok trend is to remind people that wage theft steals more money than all the other kinds of theft combined. I don't really have a trend. Do a dance to it. Okay. Make, a, make the Siri voice say it to a mountain goat song. Who is just one guy, by the way. He's a mountain goat, you, people. You, you've got to let this go, dude. Bothers me. He's a one man. <laughs> I don't like the wage theft, but not taxing the billionaires is a way bigger theft <laughs> that we're letting him have. That's fair. Yeah. And in Quack Kills News. Fantastic. We have a story about a terrible doctor who should not be allowed to use that title. Her name is Dr. Asterisk Stella Emanuel. Oh, And she was the star of a video from last year, you might remember. It was promoted by Donald Trump, in which a group of doctor asterisks explained that COVID is a hoax and a conspiracy. Apparently, us evil communist heathens conspired to create something that's fake at the same time. It's the perfect crime if you really think about it. No, it's not. Don't think about it. So during the video, Emmanuel claimed that face masks are useless. Hmm. I guess surgeons were using them as germ theater for the last century. (laughs) And she mentioned that she used hydroxychloroquine successfully on her patients. They're from Canada and they're super hot. You wouldn't know. Well, (laughs) here's the latest very serious medical information from Asterisk Emmanuel. Satan, the Prince of Darkness, created an army of clones and they're hunting down and murdering anti-vaxxers oh okay if this was real i think it's what it would take for us to forgive armies of clones for their part in ruining the second star wars prequel (laughs) all is forgiven guys it's all good also i feel like we don't need an army of clones we just need like aoc to tweet don't drink poison (laughs) so no you won't cowards (laughs) anthony tony gave you an award buddy okay quick background on stella Emmanuel. First of all, you'll be surprised to learn she's not an epidemiologist. No. Yeah. She's a pediatrician, asterisk, and a Christian minister. Hmm. Oh, no asterisk on that one. No, no asterisk on the second one. Also, makes the claim of curing people with bleach way scarier that she's a fucking pediatrician. (laughs) And uh, here's a few of the very important contributions she's made to medical science. She discovered that secret doctors are using alien DNA in medical treatments. And uh, yeah, I mean, all the original stuff came from space at some point. That's not really helpful. Uh, also, if Tralfamadorian DNA could stop COVID, we should fucking use it right? for sure if yeah. we have that. Anyway, moving on. 
She also said that those same secret doctors are using vaccines to make us all atheist. So again, um, good. Yeah, good. well, yeah, sure. Yep. And she claimed that gynecological problems like endometriosis are caused by people having wet dreams about fucking a demon. Wet dreams. That's something she really said. I don't think she, I don't know if she said they come or not. But okay. She said they're having sex dreams with with demons. Okay. Here's the thing, though. As someone who's tried to find a pediatrician, you know she's got a patient whose parents are like, yeah, it's crazy and bad, but she's so close to the house. And pediatrics <laughs> just has a huge line every time we go. It's a whole five-minute drive away. And that brings us to the amazing army of Satan clones going to kill the anti-vaxxers. Apparently, they understand the trolley dilemma pretty well for Satan clones anyway. Well, for anybody, they get it. According to Emmanuel, quote, the devil has power to give breath to the clones. They want to assassinate those who will not take the mark, the number of the beast or the name of the beast. The Moderna vaccine has luciferase. Oh, are we back to which is that we're back on luciferase. Yep. (laughs) That's the name of the beast. I don't think it I think isn't. it's just Lucifer. <laughs> he goes by Ace in the clubhouse. Well, also? I, you know I these know. people who think they're being clever when they like name their devil character Deville in their movies. I guess I can see them thinking, "Oh, they almost fooled me." <laughs> yeah, but seriously, she said this: the Moderna vaccine has Luciferase. That's the name of the beast. Everything about this vaccine has six six six, which is the number of the beast. End quote. No idea what that last one Everything was, you couldn't think of any, you're making shit up and you couldn't think of any specific (laughs) that you could have said that it has 666 ingredients and shit. Jesus, you were going for list of two and you had to cheat at the end. (laughs) Okay. I know we've talked about this before, but the idea that Christians think that Satan, the great deceiver, would accidentally put his name... On the mind control, clone creating, whatever the fuck it's supposed to be, tells you so much about the extent of their own cunning. Yes. Right? This, this would be like if they, I don't know, planned to overthrow the government and they couldn't stop telling people about it and it was finally coming out. <laughs> on text threads. <laughs> All right. So just a quick review of, you know, reality. Sure. <laughs> Luciferase. It's an enzyme that got its name from the Latin for light. Right. It's the type of enzyme that makes fireflies glow. It's it's just the word for light in Latin. It's not Satan magic. But it does make me happy that Stella Emanuel sees fireflies and thinks firefly demons are doing this weird low-level prank on Christianity all summer. (laughs) Just like flicker, flicker, flicker. Nailed it. But most importantly, the Moderna vaccine... Does not contain luciferase. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. Mm. Either way, that clone army is real, and I think we're all rooting for him. Yes, Cloney 2020. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I'll tell you what. I now have a convoluted plan to save the world that involves renaming a bunch of life-saving medicines with devil words. So we're going to pause for a quick feasibility (laughs) study, and while we're doing that, we're going to offer up a quick word from this week's sponsor, Gabby. Resin, resin, stupid. Hey, he's... You're making start to sketch angry noises. What's the matter? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's these movers. You know, some charge more, some charge less. I just wish there was a simple way to compare, like Gabby does with auto insurance. What's 
Gabby. Oh, Gabby uses your current policy to compare your coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Nationwide and Travelers. They're the one true comparison platform with fast, verifiable quotes, not ballpark guesses. Wow, that sounds great. And because Gabby uses your current coverage, they only show policies that are the same or better than that current coverage, many of them at a lower price. And Gabby is free to use and they never sell your info. So no annoying spam or robocalls. Yeah, actually, I ran my policy through Gabby when they became a sponsor and I found the exact same coverage for a hundred bucks less. Makes sense. People who switch with Gabby save on average $80 a month versus their current policy. $80. And it's not just me who loves Gabby. Gabby has been featured in TechCrunch, Forbes, and USA Today. So start saving on your auto insurance today. Go to Gabby.com slash scathing to start saving today. It's totally free. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash scathing. Gabby.com slash scathing. All right, Heath, I'm sold. Hold on a second. I'm confused, though. If Heath is moving in the podcastiverse, doesn't that mean that he's not going to live in this house anymore? Oh, no. He's stuck in the podcastiverse. We all are. Happy Halloween. No, you can't make the ads spooktacular. You gave Absolutely me not. one horror movie on GAM this year. One. One. Two. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she wants. If it's a legitimate race. It makes you a slut, right? Cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Misogyny. It's funny how so many men use references to femininity as a shorthand for fear. If a guy is unwilling to do something dangerous, he risks being referred to by... <gasps> feminine pronouns or even worse a pussy and i'm like motherfuckers i've spent the last two years watching y'all feel podcasts op-eds comedy specials and day-to-day rants with unmitigated terror at the idea of maybe being held accountable for your actions eventually in other words it's easy to be fearless when there's no consequences for your actions asshole and for a great example of what i'm talking about i want to go back to a story i missed because of the month off it's about a pastor named Chris Volatin of Bethel Church in California. Now, regular listeners might recognize that church by its more common and less official moniker, Christian Hogwarts. It's the church that tells kids they can walk through walls and resurrect the dead if they Jesus hard enough. So anyway, last month, Volatin decided to post one of his old sermons on YouTube. It's apparently from 2014. And the theme of the sermon seemed to be, you are a filthy, filthy slut, and I'm surprised God still loves you. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I have to admit that I haven't actually listened to the whole sermon. What I saw was a minute-long compilation that a TikTok user put together that provided some quick hits of the most sexist parts. In it, he implies that women are responsible for men's thoughts about them. He implies that victims of sexual assault have it coming if they wear revealing clothes. His exact words are, if you fish with shark bait, you're going to catch sharks. And the video wraps up with him saying, quote, I've seen thousands of people's virginity restored. I have hundreds of emails about girls' hymens being restored. End real quote. Now, holy shit, is there a lot wrong with that? And I only gave you the highlights of the highlights. I mean, I guess I should give him at least some credit for backing off the claim that he's seen hymens restored and going with having seen emails about it. But holy fuck, is everything else wrong with that sentence? Hymens do not equal virginity. Virginity isn't a thing that can be restored. Virginity isn't something you should want restored. And to be honest, I kind of doubt that Chris Volatin can read or use a computer well enough to find his inbox. 
Anyway, the compilation of his sexist purity culture bullshit went viral, so he immediately took down the video. Then he releases this bullshit non-pology statement where he blames the chick who put together the compilation. Quote, someone who I do not know created a short 57-second video using select sound bites from that teaching and posted the clip on social media. Understandably, anyone who saw that short video would be confused as the full context was completely missing. End quote. And look, man, as bad as the you're taking it out of context argument starts off when you're talking about magically regrowing hymens, it's all the weaker when the reason we're taking it out of context is that you remove the context. But here, let me put it back in context for you, buddy. Chris Follerton is a misogynistic piece of shit who gets mad at women when their wardrobes make his wee-wee do a fidget. And if you need any more context than that, I should remind you that he preaches at a church with a school that claims to be able to teach you how to wield Harry Potter magic through Jesus. And with the promise that I'll pick some more current misogyny for the next one, I'll close things off and hand you back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. Next up in headlines in Doesn't Hurt to Mask News. It's hard to believe that there's a dumbest religious objection to a mask mandate. The baseline stupidity required to articulate a religious objection of any kind is already pretty high. And when it's a religious objection to safety, all the more so. But if doing this show has taught me anything, it's that even the stupid have their stupid. And that's on full display in a recent lawsuit against the Central Bucks School District in Pennsylvania's mask mandate, which alleges, among other things, that kids who wear masks at school are being forced to participate in a satanic ritual. (laughs) And by the way, a reporter actually checked on that with the official Church of Satan just to be a dick. And the spokesman for the official Church of Satan said almost, quote, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> we we use the vaccines. Mask starts with M. So does milk. Satanic ritual. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I did it. So, yeah, we've already heard arguments as stupid as we're made in God's image. So you're forcing me to cover a religious icon to Psalms 91 says I've got superpowers to whatever the fuck Greg Locke was ranting about before the Dunkin' Donuts manager threatened to call the police. But Pennsylvania (laughs) parent Shannon Harris is making a late play for the dumbest version with this lawsuit. It's actually a lawsuit by four different parents on behalf of their eight kids. And it seems like maybe they didn't realize what a wackaloon Shannon was until it was too late. Don't get me wrong. The other parents' objections are fucking dumb. They argue that wearing masks give their kids headaches, exacerbates their anxiety, and that masks are, quote, being used as a control mechanism over the population, end quote. Sure. But all of that pales in comparison to Shannon's invocation of literal Satan. Sorry, just circling back. You know what exacerbates anxiety for a kid? Their parents trying to sue the school over fabric that exacerbates anxiety. (laughs) Yep. What? I love the idea of the kid has an anxiety attack and home. He's trying to breathe into a paper bag. They're like, get that fucking away from your face. <laughs> Look, I know I can never run for office because of the terrible things Heath has said on this show. But what? if I ever yeah, my fault. did run, really up that plan for my campaign slogan is going to be, I will tell stupid people to shut the fuck up while they're talking. That's it. <laughs> Just a... A promise to be the only politician who someone's like, well, I'd like to shut the fuck up. I could be president, guys. I don't think I could, could have be been president, president. But yeah, if it weren't for heat. I think we need an army of Eli clones running around <laughs> the country. OK, so potty it, mouth. Here's the part she insists on, on keeping in the lawsuit, even when the they're coming for our precious bodily fluids guys told her it was silly. Quote, 
The Harris family identifies as Christian and believes that it is against God's will to wear masks because wearing masks interferes with their religious duty to spread the word of God and forces them to participate in a satanic ritual. And in case she wasn't being melodramatic enough, it continues, quote, during the 2020-2021 school year, the Harris family felt tortured by being forced to choose whether to practice, yes, tortured by being forced to choose whether to practice their religious beliefs or participate in sports in the district, end quote. Okay, that means this mom tried to spread the word of the gospel at some point, and she was like, Jesus is the way that... Fuck, I ate some of my mask fabric. Fabric's hard. Yes, yeah. right. Yes. How the fuck does it stop? That prevented you from <laughs> yeah, spreading the gospel? She also kind of gave away her own game there, right? Because like, if you actually believe in God and it's a Satan ritual, it's not hard at all to choose between those two things. Oh, lacrosse or to give my soul to the devil. Yes, right. Which, what she actually <laughs> means is that her family was tortured by the choice of pretending to believe in God yes. or lacrosse. Right. So yeah, the the bad news is that our secret mask-based satanic ritual to invoke the anxious headache demons might be blown wide open. The good news is that we got to torture the Harris family along the way. So that's a that's a pretty solid silver lining, I think. Also, they have masks in lacrosse, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and in I'm just wiles about Perry news. Anti-Semite extraordinaire and host of the malpropsonizationally named True News. Nailed it. Thank you. Has something to say about the COVID vaccine that was stupid even for Rick Wiles this week when he explained to his viewers that the vaccine contains a, quote, egg that hatches into a synthetic parasite, end quote. <laughs> okay. Why would we build it with an incubation period? It's synthetic. <laughs> just inject it right in. Well, no, no, because like, look, dude, if, if people could see it swimming around in that needle, they wouldn't let us put it in their arms. Oh. So obviously you need it to be inert. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Oh, no, no, it's cool. You're just injecting me with eggs. I thought I, for a second I saw something swimming. No, it's cool. Oh, okay. It's like boba. It's like boba. <laughs> right. So regular listeners of the show might remember Rick for saying... Well, gosh, a bunch of stupid yeah. stuff over the years. Yeah. But he, he he looks like the Street Fighter character Guile's abusive stepdad. <laughs> he does. But you might know him more recently for getting serious COVID, which, sadly, he survived. Our thoughts go out to his family in this difficult time. <laughs> <laughs> Look on the bright side, Rick's family. The long-term complications could still get it. We don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> anyway, here's what Ricky Tiffy looked like peach-flavored taffy had to say. Quote, what the fuck is happening? This Ricky Tiki Tabby. <laughs> wow. I ran a little dry. I'm not going to lie. I ran like a little. Taffy. Yeah, exactly. Nice. See, everybody wins. This is a global coup d'etat by the most evil cabal of all people on the planet in the history of mankind. And if it is not stopped in the very near future, they will win. That's what's at stake. Control of the world. I don't know about Joe, but I'm kind of flattered by all those superlatives, right? Right, the yeah. Most evil in all the history of mankind. Wow. Yeah. He concluded, quote, they're planting, they're putting eggs in people's bodies. If you didn't see yesterday's true news, you need to watch it. <laughs> Citation needed, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's an egg that hatches into a synthetic parasite. It grows inside your body. This is like a sci-fi nightmare. 
and it's happening in front of us, end quote. Okay, you better not touch those eggs, Rick Wiles. Every life matters. <laughs> yeah. That's important. I detect a heartbeat. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, so, look, I hate to do so many call to actions in a single headline segment, but it's pretty obvious what needs to happen here. I need a bunch of people to send Rick Wiles that chest-bursting scene from Alien with the subject, this is my cousin who took the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> or that scene where they take the thing out of Neo's uh, navel. Yep, yeah. yep. I've got good odds he's going to put it on air. Good odds, good odds. And finally tonight, in things that absolutely did not happen for 500 News, according to Rachel Hamm, a candidate to become Secretary of State for California, according to her, she murdered her neighbors in a fire by praying. Okay. But in a good way. Right. It was <laughs> righteous. Uh, she's a GOP candidate, by the way, in case you're wondering. She's from the <laughs> Republican Party, just to be uh, clear. Uh. Yeah. So apparently she had a dream about getting killed in a fire by a robber and decided to pray for her neighbors to have that happen to them instead because her neighbors are witches. And apparently God came through on that. God, I missed the time when... Voters would reject the candidate that bragged about murdering their neighbors for better reasons than doubts about their veracity. You know? <laughs> okay, so here's the exact words from Rachel Hamm. This person is running for elected office. Keep that in mind. Quote, I'm a prophetic dreamer. Disqualified. Yep, already. <laughs> nope. No, you're not. And you're not running. Yeah. I'm a prophetic dreamer. That means... I see things in my dreams before they happen. Yeah, we know what that meant, what you're trying to fucking say. That's, those are words we know. It's that it doesn't, you saying that doesn't mean that, but yes, that's what right. those words mean. Yeah. So, continuing. I wake up and I've just had a dream that someone tried to break into my home, murder me, and light my house on fire. Okay? <laughs> Is it okay with you guys? Yeah, Can no, you yeah, yeah, I don't really, yeah. Are you guys cool? Not really, but go ahead. <laughs> she continued. So I wake up and I pray and I use my authority in Jesus's name to say, no, no one is going to break into my home or murder me or light my house on fire or harm me in any way. I go back to sleep. I wake up in the morning and I call home and my mom says, you're not going to believe what happened last night. You know, the witches, What? you know, them, the self-proclaimed witches who live two doors down. Well, someone broke into their house murdered them, and lit the house on fire. But, End quote. And everybody Jesus cared about lived happily ever after. And the name <laughs> of those witches? Albert Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> so, just to be clear, the Christian God of the universe wants her to hold office. She announced that at the beginning of her campaign. So, God is backing a murderous arsonist. That's official. And God is also doing the murder and arson right, yeah, on, sure. you know, a wish. Now, okay, obviously that's all a lie. Yeah, but it's a crazy child's lie. <laughs> according to Rifra, she's a sincerely held arsonist and assassin. Yeah. That's, that's true. I actually. think it's very important that the courts stop persecuting Christians and start jailing Christians for prey murdering. It's about <laughs> religious freedom. It's basic freedoms. Who are we to decide that that can't be real? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, with that quick reminder of how Christians would be using their magic powers if they had them, we're going to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Jumanji. And when we come back, 
We're going to talk about how much I dread the question, so what do you do? <laughs> Drug dealer. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Come on. Just, you can do it. You can do it. It's just, you can do it. Hey, buddy. Uh, what you doing up there on the roof? Yeah, are you trying to get a tan so that you can tell people you're from Jamaica again? Because it's not going to work, dude. No, no. Guys, I figured it out. I am vanilla skying right now. You're vanilla skying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about it. I have a great wife and a kid. I get to joke around with you guys for a living, and it's all paid for by a magical website called Paytreon. I mean, I am obviously in a future happiness simulator, so I'm going to try and fly, right? There's no point in not trying to fly. Dude, you are not in a happiness simulator. First of all, look at your body. Mm, Got you there. And second of all, People support the show on Patreon for a lot of good reasons. Oh, yeah? Like what? Well, they get a commercial-free, extra-long version of the show they can play on any podcast player by pledging just a dollar a show over at patreon.com slash skatingatheist. Hmm, that is pretty good. Well, and plus, at higher levels, they get access to ringtones, special AMAs that you, me, and Heath did, even signed copies of the latest Iotribes book. And they're supporting secular activism, which means a lot to a bunch of people. It's really important. Pretty sure I'm vanilla skying. Yeah. You okay, buddy? Landed on a trampoline. Did, did you land safely? Nope, on the side. A metal pipe. Yikes. Ooh. Yeah, side. Well, maybe people go to patreon.com slash scathing atheist to help with the medical bills. I hope so. He's like wedged in there. They'll help. You know, Vanilla Sky was a bad movie. Well, I kind of liked it. Losing a lot of blood. We all face the questions, stuff like, what church do you go to? Do you thank God for it? Have you tried praying? The questions that leave you in a position where you either have to lie to somebody or use the A word. And if you're anything like me, you constantly find yourself asking, which is the easier strategy right now? Do I want to mislead this person or do I want them to potentially think that I'm a devil worshiper? Well, my guest today faced those questions so often that he wrote a book about them. David McAfee is a journalist and an author with an educational background in religious studies. His previous books include Disproving Christianity and Other Secular Writings and No Sacred Cows, Investigating Myths, Cults, and the Supernatural. And his newest book, Hi, I'm an Atheist, What That Means and How to Talk About It with Others, deals with precisely these questions. How and when to tell people you're an atheist and how best to overcome whatever shock, disappointment, or misconceptions follow. So first of all, David, welcome to The Scathing Atheist. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited that this book is out there. It's a great, succinct resource for new atheists or for atheists who aren't public about it. But before we talk about that, I kind of want to talk a bit about the author, because I find this fascinating. You were an atheist even before you started college, but you pursued a post-secondary education in religious studies. Why? You know, religion to me has always been about the fascination. I, I've always just been uh, intrigued by the beliefs themselves and also how and why people hold them and hold them so strongly. And it started when I was just 13 years old and I was going to church every Sunday, but not realizing that it was to be taken seriously. I, I kind of just thought it was just stories and learn moral lessons. And when I learned that my grandma believed that if we didn't go to church, we would go to hell, 
you know, I started to ask these questions like, how can we believe this so strongly? And then there's another church right across the street with completely opposing beliefs and they believe that just as strongly. And, you know, since then I've just been attending churches with my friends and family as a kid and then growing up. And then as soon as I went to college, I knew I wanted to major in religious studies. Wow. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So let's fast forward quite a bit. What, what inspired you to write this book? You know, the inspiration kind of followed from this this desire to learn more about religion because I I graduated from UCSB's religious studies program with an emphasis in Christianity and Mediterranean traditions. And I applied to the graduate program for the same school. And the interaction that I had there was actually the catalyst for the book, which was the dean of admissions telling me that I wouldn't fit in with the program because I'm an atheist activist with an axe to grind. And she said that based on just Googling my name and seeing the cover of my first book, Disproving Christianity, which I had already written the self-published version by that time. And yeah, just being judged in that moment. And I never actually got to submit my application because I, she rejected me before hearing anything more. So that, that's what made me realize that being open about atheism was more than just about telling your family. It's about you know, like you said, these little interactions, these little questions that come up along the way. Wow, that that just blows me away. I, you know, I, it's it, I guess the prejudice is is not shocking to me, but that level of openness about the prejudice, I guess, kind of is. <laughs> uh, like, boy, at least lie to me, lady. Oh yeah, and and she had she had been transferred from a theology school just a few months prior to that, and. You know, a lot of people aren't aware, but there is a sharp distinction between a theology school, which is Christian in nature, and a religious studies program, which is secular in nature and teaches more about the inner workings of the faiths. But she came from a theology school, and I think she was kind of governing from that position still. Gotcha. All right. So let's talk about the term atheist, right? So Obviously, it's one that I wear proudly. It's one that our show wears proudly. But it, it's only one of the many ways that a person who doesn't believe in God or gods can identify. And it's not necessarily the one with the fewest negative connotations in our society. So why embrace that term instead of one like free thinker or secular humanist? There are certainly places for, for words like that. You know, there are times in which that using those words is going to be better than using the word atheist. But the reason that I wrote the book, Hi, I'm an Atheist, and the reason that I championed the word atheist is specifically because of what you said, because of those negative connotations, and because of the stigma that's attached to the word atheist itself, I feel like the more people who use that word and don't embody the stereotype, which, you know, <laughs> none of us do, none of us are those devil worshipers that you mentioned. So the more of us that identify as atheists and people try start to see that we are not those things, not devil worshipers, not hateful about God, not whatever it is, insert stereotype here, the better it is for everybody, including those in the future who want to be out as non-believers. Yeah, I, I think that's the most convincing argument for me. And as, as you presented in your book, it is you're just you're making you're softening it up for the next person who actually has to tell them they're an atheist, you know, who, who actually gets cornered by one of these questions. Exactly. So, okay, so just one more question on terminology. What does it mean when you say come out as an atheist or to be an out atheist? Yeah, I would say that typically means if you're not hiding your atheism from the world, and that could mean, you know, with your family, it could mean with your 
people at work. I, I talk to a lot of people who are like, I've been out as an atheist for years. And they, they mean that maybe their mom and dad and or their loved ones, immediate loved ones know. But when something comes up in a professional setting, they are more likely to just let the question slide or move right by it. So I feel like being out as an atheist requires a little more than just being open with family. That's fair. Yeah, I think I guess we're all out to uh, to, to varying degrees, or I guess some of us aren't out at all. So, so uh, no, I know we've already kind of touched on this a little bit, but I still think it's worth uh, framing the question as you do in the second chapter of your book. Why should I come out? Mm-hmm. There are, you know, that question is different for every person. And like you just said, I, I did touch on that with the biggest reason I think to come out if you're doing it for other people is to get the word out there that atheists are not these terrible people that others think they are. That's that's the selfless version. But it's also important just to have honesty in your life. And it feels good, at least in my experience, to have people around me know who I am and know what I'm about and not falsely think I'm something that I'm not. Yeah, I guess at a certain point, honesty is its own reward. Now, of course, I feel like the flip side of that question is also worth addressing as well, because we have people listening from all over the place. Under what circumstances, in your opinion, shouldn't a person come out? That's a great question, because, you know, a lot of people see the book and maybe automatically assume that I'm saying that every single atheist should come out. But I very specifically say in the book that that's not the case. There are extreme situations in which I would say the best answer is to bite your tongue and wait until you can get out of that position. And, you know, obviously some examples of that are if you're being threatened to be kicked out and be homeless, if you come out as an atheist, if you're a kid and, and your parents are very fundamentalist Christians or, or fundamentalist any religion, really. If you're living in, you know, somewhere in the Middle East where your life is going to be threatened, if it really depends. There are certain communities here in the South where if you mention that you're an atheist, you also have a target on your back. So I would say it's really up to, it's definitely a case-by-case type of review. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important that we caveat that this, yeah, there's no one-size-fits-all solution here. So let's let's get to some practical advice here. Do, do you have any do's or don'ts for the atheists that say coming out to their family for the first time? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, if you're coming out as an atheist for the first time, you're probably going to want to do it in a way that's confrontational, in a way where maybe you're disagreeing with someone at Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, and someone in your family mentions like, you need to pray or you need to do this. And it's going to be tempting to just be like, I don't even believe in that stuff. And and that's kind of what a lot of, especially, you know, younger atheists kind of tend to fall into that. And so I advise in the book to stay away from that, to make it more of a planned, thought out process and do it in a way where you're not going to create that confrontation where they don't see you as something evil, where they see that you're just the same person who happens to not believe. And so there are many ways to do that in a conversation to kind of ease your way into it. So that's kind of the tactic that I like to champion. Yeah, no, I can see that. It, it, it's it's already something that has the there's always already the threat of confrontation. Why guarantee that? Yeah, exactly. It's it's an inherently controversial subject because you're telling people, you know, that they're wrong about something that they've believed their entire lives, that their parents taught them, that their parents believe their entire lives, that their parents taught them. It's something more than just you know being wrong about if a show is good or something like that. It's something deep 
for religious people. And so it's important to keep that in mind, too. Well, yeah, and, and nobody's indoctrinated with the belief that, you know, if you don't like the same TV shows as, as me, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. So, yeah, exactly. Even just out of their concern for you. It, yeah, it takes on a completely different connotation. Now, it's, I think kind of for that exact reason and maybe for some others, some people, it really doesn't matter how many times you tell them that you're an atheist. They don't hear you. Like, so I'll give you a personal example. I've been doing an atheist podcast for almost nine years now. Mm -hmm. It is my full-time job and has been for three presidents. But my mom still refuses to accept that I'm really an atheist. She says I'm just an anti-church person. <laughs> so do you have any advice for the friend or family member that just will not accept your lack of belief? Yeah, well, first, I mean, to analyze the the reason that that happens a little bit, it, it's clear to me that it's because they really need that to be the case. Because if you are really an atheist, you know, according to Christianity, that is an unforgivable sin. That means that you can't come back from that if you've blasphemed against God. And so they need to believe that it's just a phase that you'll go out of it and that you'll come back to their faith. That's part of it. And then part of it's psychological where they just, you know, are in denial about it. As far as advice on how to overcome that, you know, <laughs> some people, as, as you just kind of alluded to, are never really going to accept it. There's not like you can't just sit them down and be like, hey, this is who I am because they'll just be like, oh, well, I know. <laughs> and if you've been doing a professional podcast like this for nine years and still not being accepted, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. But, you know, I think... <laughs> I think the acceptance then has to come on your part that that's just going to be how it is. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I got a lot of emails about that. On a, we, we did a Mother's Day thing, a live stream a little while back, had my mom on and she expressed that, you know, just uh, during the live stream. She said, well, I don't think you're really an atheist. <laughs> and I had so many people email me and say, well, you know what? If you can't convince your mom, I feel a lot better about my inability to convince my sister-in-law or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually, that's a really good point. I mean, I, I never really had that problem, I think because I've been an atheist open about it since I was around 13 years old. And so they accepted it by the time I was majoring in religious studies and writing a book called Disproving Christianity. <laughs> but yeah, if, if they're not accepting you and your podcast is called Scathing Atheist, yeah, I think that that's uh, a little beyond reproach there. Right, right. And I, I think that you, you actually hit on a very important point, and it's one that you made repeatedly in the book and that I really appreciated, which is that sometimes the acceptance does have to come from your side, you know, that, that you yeah. really do have to think more than just what, how is this going to affect me, but also how is it going to affect the people around me? As much as I hate to say that, given the prejudices that atheists face, sometimes when you're dealing with great grandma, you know, who is the uber fundamentalist, there really is no way to get all the way through. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually wrote my first book, Disproving Christianity. I started writing it because of my grandma, not as a book, but as like an essay to give to her because she told me that she believed every single word of the Bible. And she said that no matter what is in the Bible, she believes it. And I was like, made up, I made up something. I said, you know, what about this chapter, Ecclesiastes 13.42? It says that, and I made up this completely non-existent chapter. And she's like, oh, I believe that for sure. And I'm like, okay, so you will literally believe anything, not just that's in the Bible, but that I say is in the Bible. And what I did there was I continued writing this Disproving Christianity essay just to point out contradictions in the text, just to show her that it wasn't infallible. And 
unfortunately, she passed away before it was even published into a book. But I ended up publishing it and and putting it out into the world. And I still feel like it has helped a lot of other people do what I was trying to do for her. Right. Right. So, okay. So let's uh, kind of follow that thread a little bit because I've heard a lot of stories from friends and and listeners who assume that coming out as atheist to their family would be like a world shattering event only to have their family members accept it and say, yeah, now we kind of figured, you know, or, or, or something far later than they expected. But I've also heard uh, stories of people who thought maybe it would go over well and ended up estranged entirely. So do you have any specific advice for people when things go bad? Oh, yeah. Um, when things, uh, First of all, you are right that you can never really predict exactly what's going to happen. I've, I've seen a lot of people have the exact experiences that you're describing where they think it's going to go great and then it just does not. I don't know if you can hear my dog right now, but I'm sorry in advance if you do. Hey, no, that's <laughs> all right. We, we're, we're entirely fine with dogs making their way into the interview as long as we know the dog's name. Okay, her name is Maggie, and she's half St. Bernard and half Pitbull, and she's our chicken guardian. Oh, right on, right on. Awesome. So a dog with a job, that's always nice. Yes, and right now it's windy outside, so she is choosing to throw stuff against the house and just, <laughs> just do everything, be crazy. But okay, so when stuff does go bad, though, you know, there's not, again, there's no one size fits all piece of advice for that either. But it does help, as you already mentioned, to keep in mind the other person's feelings and keep in mind exactly what type of situation you're in. Because coming out as an atheist can throw the person you're talking to into a sort of existential crisis if they start to think about the fact that their faith might not be real or something. So you can, you know, there's a lot more going on than just you at those times. And so it's, good to keep that in mind. Right. And I should also mention that in your book, you have a, an extensive list of resources for people in various situations like that. that. Oh, definitely. The resources section is probably one of the most valuable parts of the book. I mean, it has the scathing atheist in it. So obviously it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's got to be good. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I feel like I saved the most important question for last. Where can our listeners go to pick up a copy of the book? You can go straight to Amazon. You can go to the Macmillan website. They have a, uh, a nice little preview where you can see a lot of the book on their site. Or you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author David G. McAfee. Also on Instagram at David G. McAfee, Twitter, etc. Same thing. All right. Awesome. And of course, we'll have that linked on the show notes for the episode as well. Well, so thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for putting this book together. And thank uh, Maggie for her contributions as well. <laughs> Thank you very much, Noah. I appreciate you having me. And Maggie says, <laughs> Before we put a lid on this episode, I wanted to let everybody know that Metroid Dread is a pretty solid return to form for the franchise, even if the reliance on save points is frustratingly dated. Sorry, I, I didn't have anything else to talk about. I have to fill this part of the show with something. Anyway, that's all the blast me we've got for you tonight. We'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show's Hot Friend God Awful Movies debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday and an even new episode of our half-sister show citation needed debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously, I can't power down without thanking Heath Enright for doing this episode, even though he has to do it while moving. I need to thank Eli Bosnick for doing this episode, even though he has to do it while not 
moving. He has trouble doing that, as anybody who's ever edited him knows. I also want to thank uh, Lucinda Lusions for being here and being so moving. I want to thank David McAfee one more time for hanging out with us. Be sure to check out the show notes for more info on his book. I also want to thank June for providing this week's Farnsworth quote, but most of all, of course, I want to thank this week's most simmering simians, George Curtis Fabiola and Big Black Cockatoo, whose IQs are high enough to trigger vertigo. Together, these four phenomenally fulsome free thinkers pour in a fraction of their fortunes in the furtherance of our fuck-filled fulminations of the faults of faith this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the keen detection skills and ability to banter well with supervillains that it takes to give us money, but if you think you're up to the challenge, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash atheist, whereby you'll earn access to an extended ad-free version of every episode, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. And if you'd like to help, but not in a money-giving kind of way, it also helps a ton when you leave a five-star review and tell your friends that listening to this show cured your cancer. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of B. Andrew Torres. Tim Robinson handles our social media and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark, who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode, which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com. Do you want another try at it? Yeah, I want another try at it. There we go. The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.